Grab your Bibles and turn with me to Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13. We're going to be in, whoop, next page. We're going to be in verse 22 going through 30 here today. <coughs> it says this. He went through one town and village after another, teaching and making his way to Jerusalem. Lord, someone asked him, are only a few people going to be saved? He said to them, Make every effort to enter through the narrow door, because I tell you, many will try to enter and won't be able once the homeowner gets up and shuts the door. Then you will stand outside and knock on the door, saying, Lord, open to us. He will answer you, I don't know you or where you're from. Then you will say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I don't know you or where you're from. Get away from me, all you evildoers. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth in that place when you see Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God. But you yourselves are thrown out. They will come from east to west, from north to south, to share the banquet in the kingdom of God. Note this. Some who are last will be first, and some who are first will be last. Lord Jesus, open your word to us here, to, here this morning. God, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you spoke to us truth 2,000 years ago, and you are still speaking to us truth here today. Lord, open up our hearts and our minds to receive. Open up our, our bodies and souls and spirits, Lord, to experience you in all your glory through your word here this morning. Holy Spirit, fall upon us here today, right now, and open up your truth to us as we experience you through your word. In Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen. You may have a seat. <coughs> well, here we go. Well, here in, in, uh, in Montana, <coughs> we have um, Big Sky, right? We have the, we're the Big Sky country with the Big Sky Ski Resort, right? And the Big Sky Ski Resort is known for its celebrities. Right? I remember hearing stories of people skiing around, and they, and they met ce celebrities like Cameron Diaz. Another person was on the phone, an Uber ride was on the phone, you know, and, and had a, you know, went and talked to this guy named Leonardo DiCaprio, right? So we have our own kind of mini Hollywood right here, here in Montana, places that you can go around. Actually, here I just found out that Glenn Close has property, owns land up next to the Bridgers. You know, all these different people own land here. Tom Brady and, and I, I hunted on the owner of the Falcons property, his land, the Paradise Valley Ranch out in, out in uh, Paradise Valley. We have, we have all these people that are known around this area, right? Well, in Southern California, you know, you go to Hollywood, everyone asks, well, have you met an actor? Have you met someone famous? I've heard stories of people, you know, like, oh, yeah, sat at the Mission Inn right, right behind Chuck Norris um, or, uh, you know, so <laughs> all these different people. And I, I went to, to Disneyland one time, and I got to meet Bud from JAG. That was a predecessor to NCIS. <laughs> um, and he was in a couple episodes of NCIS, too. But it was cool, because you know, my family had, had watched JAG for several years. It was a TV show on CBS. 
and I got to meet one of the main characters. I was like, this is so cool. You're taller than person, you know? <laughs> and so these cool, these cool things, but like I've heard of also the horror stories of people meeting celebrities and they start treating them and interacting with them as though they were interacting with their character. Well, hey, Denoza, what's going on? Uh, my name is Michael Weather Weatherly. Who are you? You don't know me. And so in our passage here this morning, we can kind of see this, this whole concept of these people trying to, to try to associate to Jesus by name dropping. Well, Jesus, we, we were there with you. Well, Jesus, we, we heard, you, heard you preach. You preached in our streets. We ate your food. We were a part of the 5,000, right? But the difference is, you know, the difference of I know you versus I know about you, right? I can be like, y'all, y'all, I know Gary Melling. He's a legit dude. Who's Gary Melling? He's a legit dude. <laughs> But I know Gary Melling. I know Josh Geiger. I know Amberlynn Feltz. I know different people. I know about Donald Trump. I know about Joe Biden. I know about uh, Mel Gibson. I know about Billy Graham. I know about Greg Laurie. You know, I may have met certain people throughout the day, you know, throughout the years here and there. I might have had an acquaintance with someone famous here or there. But how much do you really know someone? Are you a fan or are you an intimate relationship with someone? Are you a fan of Jesus in spiritual things or are you a friend of Jesus and, of, and, and a participant in the kingdom of God? Are you tasting and seeing, smelling the aroma of the Holy Spirit in the church, or are you a, and are you a partaker, or are you a partaker, participant, active participant in the divine nature, as it says in Second Peter? Have you become a participant in the ways of God, or are you just an active participant, an active obs active observer? Are you just a taster, a seer, a smeller? Because the main thing here is, is we want to follow Jesus. We don't follow ourselves and ask God into our lives. We are invited into his. We don't ask Jesus to follow us. He asks us to follow him. So follow Jesus. Now, our, our passage here this morning is kind of reminiscent of a passage in Matthew chapter 7. It says, enter through the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the road is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who go through it. How narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life? And few find it. So we have this juxtaposition, this enter through the narrow, or this, this comparison, this, this, this similarity. Enter through the narrow door, enter through the narrow gate, right? The narrow way. So what is that narrow way? What is that narrow door? What is that narrow gate? Let's just name it. It's the way of Jesus. It is the belief in Jesus is the only way to God. That he is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. He is the narrow gate. Jesus himself is the narrow door. And wide, you know, these, these city streets 
It's like Southern California, the 10 lanes each direction on Interstate 5 going through L.A., and they're still packed and jam-packed full of people. City streets, wide, wide, you know, wide streets. Now the question is, which would you rather be on you know, as a motorcycle, the left or the right? Left broad is the, the lanes, 10 lanes going to L.A., but narrow is the way to true beauty, true life. I don't know about you, but I'd, I'd rather be on the right. <laughs> many will try to enter. Let's look, let's look at this. Many will try to enter. Well, what does it mean, you know, try? This word, you know, you know desire or want to or long to are seeking, they're, they're, they're wanting to, to what? To enter. Enter what? What are they wanting to enter? The kingdom of heaven. They want to enter into God's presence. They want to enter into life everlasting. You know, our Jew, our, the audience here is, is probably you know, most likely the Jewish leaders. Still asking the question. How will we be able to get to heaven? How will we be able, how will we be able to get into the resurrection? Who's in? People ask this question all the time. How, how do we get in? If, you, if they believe in heaven, they believe in an afterlife, how do you get in? What do you believe is the way to get in? What is your entrance in? And, and different people have different answers to that question. Allah or Buddha or you know, Vish, you know, Vishnu or Krishna. No. The guy on the, I don't know if, if, if they have them out here, but Harry Krishna you know, followers have the, are usually the super happy ones on the corner with their tambourine. Yay! Kind of freaky looking guy. I'm like, I want that joy, but not your religion. <laughs> but how do you believe you get into? How do you enter into that? Because many will try to enter, but what? Won't be able. Won't be able. And we'll get to more into this here in a little bit, but there is an exclusionary clause to Jesus's gospel. Enter into the narrow gate. Because if you're on the city streets, it leads to what? Destruction. It leads not just to a bad life, but to a bad eternity. It leads away from God. And here, here's the thing about us, you know, about us Christians. We don't get a kick about, you know, we don't, we don't get a kick out of God's judgment and condemnation. We're not like, yeah, screw you world, <laughs> you're going to hell. Sucks for you. We don't get our jollies off of it. We're not like, woo. What we mourn. We we see the the the, the devastation that evil causes. We we see. If anyone supposed you know should have the best theology about hell, it should be us. To know where people are going to, so that our compassion is stirred, even for the most evil and vile of people. Because God doesn't desire people to go to hell, but people take themselves to hell. And so for us to know and understand what that looks like and for our compassion to be stirred to say, no, no, come over here. Come, come find this beautiful road to life. I'll take you with me. Come on. I tell everyone, move to Montana. I know, I'm sorry. I know Montana's supposed to be full. 
I'm, try, I'm trying to get my, my friend to get up here from California, but he doesn't, he doesn't have that, that kind of pause. <laughs> trying to get my friend Grant to come up here because it's like beautiful. He love, would love it up here. It's that, that way of stirring of compassion. You, I want you to be here. I want you to, to, to come to where you can experience life and experience life everlasting. And that is how our heart is stirred toward those around us, to those who are driving on that. I drove in that. I learned how to drive on that. This is so much nicer. And I'm not comparing roads, you guys. I'm comparing life. People who are trying to get someplace fast are in, just feel stuck because that's the way of the wide road. That is the way of the path to destruction. We don't enjoy condemnation, but we should understand it so that our hearts are turned to compassion. We simply believe what the Bible says about, A, inclusion into the kingdom of God, and we understand fully the exclusion from the kingdom of God and that there is such a thing that there are going to be people excluded from God's presence and sent into the lake of fire at the end. And we don't want them to go there. We don't want people to go there. No matter how much (laughs) our flesh is like, you're a bad person, I want you to go there. If there's nothing else that we can learn from our faith, it's that God can take the worst of people and turn them into the best of people. I mean, think about, you know, the Christmas story. Ebenezer Scrooge, right? That's a beautiful story of redemption, of of God being able to take someone and show them, wake them up, open their eyes to see the reality and for their lives to be changed. But for us, it's it's that that opening our, our eyes is to open up our eyes and see Jesus. It's to open up our eyes and see Jesus. Once the homeowner gets up and shuts the door, because here's the reality, it's the, the, the ploy, uh, the, our call is don't hesitate to respond. Don't hesitate. Stop waiting. Wake up. Don't miss out. Don't think that because we come to church, you know, to a church service and you know, get our worship on once a week, that we know Jesus. Sometimes the most deceptive thing for our own minds can be this. We come and we come and we come and we're here. We went to church. When we get to, when we get to heaven at the end, you know, get to the gates at the end of our lives, what will our answer be to Jesus? Why should I let you into my heaven? I've heard that question. It may or may, or may not be a good question, but it's it's a good question for thought, good food for thought. Not what did you do. Because again, our salvation is not a works-based salvation. It's not, oh, I fed the poor, I did this, I did that, I fought for social causes, I did this, and I went to church. Will that be the reason why we tell Jesus that we should be able to be allowed in? Will he also say to us, well, we, we said to him, we, well, we ate and drank, we had communion in your presence, and 
we, he- we heard your, your word preached and we sung some songs in church services. Will our answer be similar to theirs? And to which he will say, I tell you, I don't know you or where you're from. Now, again, my, my, my message here is not to fear your salvation. That's not what I'm trying to get at here. It's not works that saves you. It's not doing things that save you. It's not doing more. It's like trying to do more for God in order to make your way, to earn your way into salvation, earn your way into heaven. My question is, like Jesus, do you know Jesus? Would Jesus not so much, yeah, I know you, but would Jesus say to, back to you, I know you? I have a relationship with you. You had a relationship with my people. You were an active, loving, interacting contributor and, 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 and cultivator of my kingdom. You were a part of my people, and therefore I knew you. I know you. Would Jesus say to you, I know you. I know where you're from. I know your life, and you know mine. Does your life reflect a life that loves Jesus and desires Jesus, a life that knows Jesus and is known by him because you spend time with him, because you spend time in his presence? Because you spend time with his people. Because you've been taught by one another and encouraged in your identity in Christ by one another. Or are we just a passive participant? (coughs) Sorry. Is this the only time you pray during the week? I've heard that. the pastors, we need to provide a space for prayer because most of the time they don't. People don't pray outside of church. And that was a heartbreaking statistic for me. Do we pray outside of this time on Sunday mornings? As a youth pastor, that was my biggest frustration. It's like. My, the parents of my teenagers are not discipling their kids and they expect all of their, you know, they expect their, their kid to be a godly kid because I get them an hour a week or two at youth group. Versus are we discipling our families to love, know and love Jesus? Not just know about him, but to know how to take what we know about God and put it into practice. Interact with him in a relationship and interact with one another through the truth of that compassion. Is this the only other time that you see your brothers and sisters in Christ throughout the week? Or do you intentionally make time to see and interact with your brothers and sisters in Christ outside your families for the encouragement of your faith, for the uplifting of your soul, for the reminder of your identity in Christ? I have to tell, tell you guys, I've even preached about it a few times, anxiety is rampant in our country. I would say, A, because of disconnection, and B, because we forget. We, we, it's the, the easiest thing for us as Christians to do is forget. Forget who we are. Forget our value to Jesus. Forget our value to one another. And here, here, here's the deal. Be a burden on one another. 
oftentimes I think there's this mentality of, I don't want to be a burden on someone. I don't feel like I want to need someone. I don't need help. So why would I call someone? Why would I invite someone over? Why do I need this relationship? Why do I need this connection? Well, you won't, A, you won't find out until you do it. <laughs> because it's one of those things that's like, oh, you had to be there, right? You had to experience it to know and to fully understand and embrace why it's important. It's like trying to describe a sunset at Huntington Beach to someone who's colorblind and has never been to the beach before. The, the warmth, the, the feel of the warmth of the, of the sand in your toes and the, the crashing of the waves and the, as the sun sets over Catalina. Unless you were there, you wouldn't know fully what it was like. That's what relationship and connection with one another is. And God, all of the scripture tells us to engage in relationship with him and with one another. It's not just a me and Jesus relationship. It's a we and Jesus relationship. And he constantly is reminding us to love one another, love one another. Have we, but have we spent time, more, most importantly, with him? Do you pray? Do you read scripture? Do you listen to worship music? Do you, you know, these are the kind of the, the practices of things that we do, but what is the ultimate goal in doing these things? The ultimate goal is to experience his presence, to experience connection with him and relationship. Like going out to dinner and going out to go learn how to dance or going to a movie is the way that you experience your spouses you know, on a date night. You do these things, but the ultimate goal is connection is connection, relationship with your spouse. That's what God wants. Yes, we do certain things, and we can do a whole slew of things with God, but the ultimate goal is connection with God himself because he wants to know you. He wants you to know him, not just to know about him. Because when you encounter the living Christ, it changes you. For Moses, it was physical. <laughs> physical. He literally glowed, and they were like, dude, Dude, put a bag over your face. We can't endure it. Look at we weird. And all of a sudden, like, you know, you know, <laughs> Sharon walks through the door, and all of a sudden, her like her face is glowing because she's just been in the presence of Jesus all week. They're just like, whoa, cool. I wouldn't be like, put a bag over your head. That'd be weird. <laughs> it changes you. You don't strive to be different. When you come and have a relationship with Jesus, you are different. It does change you. You don't have to try to change yourself. What does it mean here toward the end? They, they will come from east to west, from north and south, to share the banquet in the kingdom of God. Those who are coming and experiencing the presence of God, the presence of Jesus. Who is that? Us Gentiles. That's us. Bing. We're in Jesus' teaching right there. That's us. Americans, because we're west of them. We're in the west. So they will come from west, from America. That's us. We will come to him to share the banquet in the kingdom of God. Those who the religious rulers and the religious people really just overall left out of society, dirty and unworthy, Gentiles were considered basically kind of like secondary humans. Like not even, they were kind of like barely human. They're like Jewish people, Gentiles. 
Like they wouldn't shake the dust off their feet when they left Gentile area. It's like us leaving the state of Washington. Mm-hmm. Mm. This is what Jesus means at the end. Some who are last will be first, and some who are first will be last. He's talking about the Gentiles and, and the Jews. The, people, the Jewish, Jewish people who elevated themselves above other people, they're going to be last. And those who they look down upon will be first. Who, who are the last people to you? Who are the people to you that are barely human? People who disagree with you politically? Oh, those dirty fill-in-the-blanks. It'll surprise you to see them being first in the kingdom of God. Jesus brings those in, those who we see as last, because those are the ones that he wants. To them, in our passage today, it's, he's talking about the, those who are the least in society, the sinners and the Gentiles, the ones that the Jewish holy people were like, poo on you. Jesus is saying, I want them. Yeah, you're going to be last. This is all tribes, all nationalities, races, peoples, cultures, all these people, people from Africa and Asia and Europe, Russians and Chinese and Indonesian and Indian and Nigerian and Ethiopian, Belizean and Chilean, Mexican, Canadian, yeah, even the Canadians, they will come to Jesus. This is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not defined as America. So not even just looking beyond our own geopolitical, Democrat, Republican, you know, libertarian, constitutionalist, whatever the other ones are, you know, Green Party, etc. Looking beyond even our own American borders. The gospel is not American. The gospel is the worldwide gospel of Jesus Christ, of the creator God of the entire world who created all tribes, all nations, all languages, all races, all cultures. Jesus says, I want them. I want you at my table in the kingdom of God. They're all sitting. They all have a place at the wedding feast of the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Because of the temple, you know, you know the Jewish people had this, this eschatological, or in, 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 more, in terms, you know, end of time. Eschatological, eschatology is the study of the end times. So there, there, there's this belief in the Jewish people that the end times... At, there will be this great banquet feast at the end times. And toward the first century, they came to believe that it would just be them. It would just be the Jewish people, just, just Jews, just Israel. But what Jesus is saying is that all kinds of people will have a place at the table with the Lord in his kingdom. That's what Jesus is saying in this passage. All people. Because remember that faith is not familiarity of Jesus. It's not people 
who study God. I study God. I go to Bible studies. I have inductive Bible studies. I've got a study Bible at home. I study, study, study. I've got commentaries and this and that and then and the other thing. I know about, a lot about God. But that's not faith. Faith is not familiarity of Jesus, of God, of theology. Because you know who has a much better theology than any of us? Satan, Lucifer himself, and the rest of his angels. So doctrine is not the problem. Faith is a familial relationship with Jesus. Having that relationship, having that known and being known with Jesus himself and with one another. It's the difference, you know, it's this like concept, the difference of seeing the miracles and hearing him preach and eating his food versus remaining with him, following him, being faithful to follow him to Jerusalem like these disciples and beyond. And essentially, I've heard the, heard the phrase, you know, you'll be surprised by who you see in the kingdom of God, and you'll also be surprised by who you don't see in the kingdom of God. And a newer phrase I've heard, <laughs> that others will also be surprised to see you there. Great celebration. I mean, think about, think about that. <laughs> Stephen walks into heaven and see, he sees Paul. He's like, ah! But then he's like, no, 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 guys. Bro, bro. I'm a bro. Bro, give me a hug. I'm sorry. And Stephen will be like, Yes! You're in! Jesus saved you! He transformed your life! Woohoo! Awesome! You know, you know, thinking about each one of us, think about that story. What would see our lives and say, God transformed your life? Yes! He can do anything! Yes! Amazing! Who in your life do you see that? Who in our lives can we see that we're like, only God could change you? And that you would have a stinking party if they came to faith in Jesus. Because you're like, you are so far off. You are so not who I would imagine ever being in God's kingdom, and yet you're who God wants. You're who God wants. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you the gospel. I'm going to share Jesus with you. Because I know what God can do. He said, it's not a works and behavior. It's not about works and behavior. It's about direction. It's about trajectory. Make every effort to what? Enter through the right door. The door itself is easy. You ever walk through a door that wasn't locked? Is it, is it hard? No. You just, all right, go. The door, entering the door is not hard. It's finding the door. It's getting to the door. It's getting people to the door for them to realize, oh, this is easy. Or it's, you know, there's not even a door there. You just walk through the door, walk through the entrance. Like we just took a, took a door off of Amberlynn's, you know, parents' place. And it's so much easier to get through. It's like, oh, open door. Whew, downstairs. It's easy to go through a door. It's finding the right door that's the difficulty. And we have found it. And we want other people to find it too. 
be like, hey, the door over here, come over here. This is the door. For some reason to the wall. Like in the, you know, in one of those video games, those like you know, Sim Sim City, where you see the, the characters kind of like standing at the door. That's people around us in the world. They're trying to find the door. They can't find it. Help them to find the door to the drums. Help them to find the door. And when they find it, help them to enter it. Show them the door so that they can enter in. And then when we've entered in, as we have, we've found the door, stay. Hang out. Don't slack off. Or as the Bible would call it, don't fall away. Stay the course. Keep the faith. It says endure. Conquer. It says this over and over again in scriptures. Matthew chapter 10. You will be hated by everyone because of my name, but the one who endures to the end will be Saved, And I think we're seeing more and more of this happening and, and, and stirring up in our country because Christianity is becoming less and less and less the prominent society, the prominent mo- you know, system of morality and values and virtues in America. Our Christian virtues, the things that, we, that God praises as good and right and virtuous and moral, are now being demonized and mocked and made fun of. And so it's becoming worse and worse. It's becoming harder and harder and harder for us. Why? Because we're, our, our way of living, our way of being, the way of Jesus is not in prominence anymore. And it actually means something to live differently in our culture. It means something to stand in your faith, to stand firm in your faith and say, this is right, this is wrong. This is good, this is evil. This is holy. That is not. And like I said, it's not a way to dismiss people and push them away and reject them. It's a way of saying, come over here. Leave your evil behind and believe the gospel of Jesus. It's becoming more and more separated. And we will become more and more hated in our culture by simply living our faith by simply living the way, the truth, and the life. Standing up. But the one who endures till the end will be saved. All over Revelation, it says this, to the one who conquers. But here's the rewards. Here is what it means to conquer. Here's the reason why we conquer, endure, push forward, stay. Why? Because to the one who conquers, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life which is in the paradise of God. To the one who conquers will never be harmed by the second death. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give him a white stone. And on the stone, a new name is inscribed that no one knows except the one who receives it. To the one who conquers, I will give him authority over the nations. To the one who conquers, I will give the right to sit with me on my Is this better than being loved by the world? Is this better than being accepted and welcomed by those who are evil in our world? 
by those who are in trying to find the door, who are lost, who are distracted, being welcomed and liked and received, but well by those in our culture. Is this not better? Stand in our faith. Not, don't be a jerk about it. Be loving because you know where they're going. You know where that mindset is going. You know the place that this is going. The garbage all around us, the culture around us is going. Stand firm in your faith and the hope of Jesus Christ. To conquer takes intentionality. Conquering is intentionality. Live your life and do it on purpose. Live your life and do it on purpose. Do it intentionally, on purpose, with a purpose, with a vision. All right, now raise your hands. Who, uh, <clears throat> who made a New, Year, New Year's resolution? No one? Someone made a New Year's resolutions are worthless and meaningless if, ah, preface, if you don't, don't have, know, and embody your why. If you don't know why you're doing, you, you set out to do something, you fail before you ever begin. Before you ever begin. If you don't fully grasp, why am I doing this? What, what is my purpose? What is the purpose of this? What is the reason? Not just it's a good thing to do. I should read through the Bible in a year because it's a good thing to do. Why do I want to read through the Bible? Why this Bible? Why here? Why this, this schedule? Why? 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 Know your why. Because unless you embody, not just know and have a why, but unless you fully embody it, Embody your why. You will fail every time. Even if you do accomplish the thing you set out to do. Even if at the end of the year you've read through your whole Bible and you didn't embody the reason why you did it. And God, you didn't have a reason why you did it. You just felt it was a good, a good thing. You may have done a good thing, but you never grasped it fully. You never engaged with God in it. You just did something good. You fail. If you don't understand why you do something, you'll fail before you ever begin. So our why in the kingdom of God for conquering is not personal benefit specifically or necessarily, but personal relationship, connection with Jesus. We read through our Bible in a year to get Jesus. Because we want to fully engage with and, and have a relationship, deeper understanding of Jesus. We do the things that we do. Understand your why. Why do I want to lose weight? Why do I want to you know, do this or that in my life? Why do I want to work out? Why do I want to run this marathon? Why do I want to make this, this amount of money? Why do I want to do this or that? Whatever your goal may be. Because it's not about... It's not, not just another year for another resolution that you'll give up on in a week or two or a month, maybe a month. 
as soon as you get to Leviticus, you're like, I'm out. It's about experiencing and giving yourself and others new grace. This is, this, year, this is a year for conquering, being intentional with our lives, living your life and doing it on purpose. Don't live your life for what's easy. Just kind of take life as it comes at you. No, you take your, your faith to life and say, I'm going to conquer you. I'm going to conquer my life in front of me. I'm going to be intentional with my family. I'm going to be intentional with my finances. I'm going to be intentional with my time. I'm going to be intentional with my faith. I'm going to be intentional about, my, about the Bible. I'm going to be intentional about worship. I'm going to be intentional about the church, about what God loves, of engaging, of one-anothering one another, engaging in relationship with God and with others in the, in the church, showing up being there. Show up and engage with God and one another. Find the door, then devote your life to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and to prayer. That is our life. Devote, commit, engage, conquer. Find, find the right door and conquer the heck out of it. Find out what is God's assignment for you. Find Jesus in your, li- in your everyday lives. Engage to know him and to be known by him. Engage with one another to know one another and be known by one another. And the only way that we can do that is through grace. God's grace is the only way that we can do that. God's grace for us and God's grace through us. Because relationships are messy. Relationships with humans between us is messy. We can get offended and be and offend others. We can say stupid things. We can do stupid things. We can be intentional and then not be intentional. We can hurt one another. Those, and, and do other things, but we can also bless one another. We can encourage one another, remind each other of our identity in Christ, building one another up. All of the one another's, over a hundred times in the Bible, it says one another. We can do all these things with one another through God's grace. And so as we start a new year, I, want, I think God is, is telling us that this is the trajectory. It's a new year for a new trajectory, a new for new habits, for new mindsets in our, in our lives, individually and as a, as a church. To see him newly, new and differently, and to see this, this opportunity for the one another in new and more di- and differently. To see that as, a, as an opportunity to engage. Whether it's in an act group or not, how can you interact relationally with other people? How can you engage to love one another, encourage one another, bear one another's burdens, build one another up? Just provide an opportunity to one another, one another, and engage in your faith in a personal way. How does God want to date you? How do you want to date God? Because even as, as spouses, we know this. 
Marriages fall apart unless you continually to, and continue to date your spouse. You've got to continue to date your spouse. Going on date nights and talking with your spouse. Having that time that you spend together day in and day out. Marriages take work, take effort. But it's not about the works. It's about the relationship. So how can you engage in your relationship with God during this new year to cultivate new mindsets, new trajectory, new directions for, your, for you, for your family, and for, and for God's church? We're going to spend some time here, but let me, let's, let me close, uh, close us in prayer here as we, as we move into our, our time of communion. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your presence and we thank you for your word. God, I pray your spirit would be known and felt and experienced through your people. God, that you would set us on your trajectory. As we start this new year, the year 2022, God, that you would set, set the destination. You would set the goals. You would set the strategies. You would set, you, have, you already have them, God. So, Lord, I just, I pray that you would direct us, that you would guide us, that you would walk with us, that we would walk with you, that we would be attentive to your, your Holy Spirit as you lead us and guide us as a church, and as individuals and as families, God. I pray for open, open, open minds, open souls to receive and to experience and encounter you in a real and tangible and meaningful way, that we would encourage one another, that we would forgive one another, that we would give ourselves and each other grace so that we can engage relationally with each other and with you, Lord, that we would experience your grace on a daily basis and remember who we were, who we are. Remember who you are, Lord, every day. Give us your vision. Be our vision. Jesus. First in Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen.